intertextual cardboard experience. So uh, I want to welcome everyone to the very first episode of Intertextual Cardboard Experience. Uh, it's a podcast about a whole bunch of different things, primarily cardboard, uh, board games, uh, designers, and everything like that. And for the very first episode, I have uh, a super awesome and special guest in one of my favorite designers, uh, John Cloudis. So thank you for being here, John. Yeah, of course. Thanks for thanks for having me on. I'm, it's uh, it's cool to be on the first episode. Yeah, very first. I mean, I think I think I probably pitched this to you like two plus years ago, and, and yeah. the, the ideas have changed. But uh, I hope I hope for the better. Uh, hey, here, man. So let's do it. Yeah. So I have like a, a broad first question, but I have a, a sub question, and then more that kind of like link to it. I, I think the one thing that I just want. Uh, listeners to uh, kind of get to know about you is first off in your story like your story and how you got into board games like when when was that was that a childhood thing uh -huh. oh man uh no uh well you know i really i got into uh, i saw i guess i was in seventh grade and or yeah seventh grade i guess and I saw there was like a dragon magazine or something at the grocery store and I was just kind of thumbing through it. And I saw the artwork for Thalid Devourer by Ron Spencer, uh, which was a magic, the gathering card from fallen empires, which is like a terrible magic set and a terrible time to get into magic as like a kid. But that, you know, I, I thought it looked kind of cool and a friend uh, and classmate, he knew how to play and we started playing and uh, I played magic from the time I was 13 up until not, I don't really play anymore. Um, but I played for a long time and built some really good friends. Like my two longest friends are still my longest friends. I mean, we don't play magic together anymore, but we still hang out. Um, but yeah, was, magic was like my gateway into like physical gaming. I, I had an NES when I was, you know, much younger than that. Um, but as far as board games and stuff like tabletop that we really didn't do that as a family. Um, I remember my parents playing Rook with like their friends and eventually I would play it with them when I got older, but not a whole lot of games, not a whole lot of games in the house. Not that it wasn't a fun, happy house. We just, we had more sports oriented. Um, just didn't do a whole lot of, whole lot of family gaming. So yeah, Magic the Gathering, man, I guess that's circa 1995, 96 is when I got into Magic. So yeah. So it's even, even though it's a, it's not even that late of a start seventh grade it's been it's been a while since your first your first packs of magic then oh yeah i mean it's it's and you know i still try to keep up like just spoiler season looking at the cards coming out but man i can't i mean you know they're basically printing money over there i know a lot of people aren't happy with it and i if i was still trying to play it i wouldn't be happy with it either but it's there's so many cards that come out now that's it's just I don't know. I don't know how it's sustainable, but I mean, somebody knows something that I don't because, you know, <laughs> they keep doing it. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I uh, honestly, I, I know magic. I've played, I've mostly played, I think I kind of messaged you about this, some of the digital CCGs and Hearthstone, Legends of Runeterra, yeah. and now Snap a bit. But I, I don't know. I feel like even, even the ones that I play, like you said, you just can't can't keep up keep up even if it's not 
extremely heavy in the the price point just like the way that the seasons change and everything like that it's just it's a lot magic's weird though man like i'm not you know i've grown a lot as both someone who designs games and someone who's enjoys looking at games like magic has changed a lot but you could still go you could you could spend very little money you could spend way less money on a couple hundred magic cards than you know choose a kickstarter project and have you know tons of fun with it but i mean it's got to be you know you've got to have that mind state of i'm not playing this to go to friday night magic and win i'm i have the mind state that i'm playing this and having fun like building decks and you know drafting and stuff there's just so many different ways to play magic it's i don't know i think it's a very i mean it's very interesting system um but yeah but yeah, yeah. It's, i get it i mean it's you know <laughs> it's tough man there's a lot lot out there yeah i think i think at this point it's one of those things it's just like it's so intimidating to to even like pick where to start whether that's you know like you said like the the drafts, the cube drafts, the commander stuff, which is maybe sure. even a little bit lower barrier to entry or cost entry. It's just, it's a lot. Yeah, it's tough. There's, you know, it's, there's 25 years of magic cards out there. That's so, that's a long time. That's a lot of cardboard. So it's, it's uh, hard to, hard to choose a jumping on point, but I get, I mean, I totally, yeah, wrap my head around why it would be into if you never played it. I mean, for me, it's like, you know, it, it's second nature. It's like swimming like looking at card because i've been you know familiar with that system for jeez uh, two-thirds of third yeah two-thirds of my life three-fourths yeah, of my wow that's a long yeah long time somewhere in between those two numbers and that yeah from your side of it too that is fun just to be able to like like you said being further in uh the hobby like as a gamer and a designer too just being able to see that card and see those possibilities even if it's not something you're like actively engaged with that's that's still yeah. cool and it's weird, man. You mentioned like the jumping in point. I think not that magic doesn't get a doesn't deserve the bad the bad publicity it gets from, you know, the board game because in in my head like the board game community and the magic the gathering community did they overlap, but they're two totally different communities. Um but like that jumping in point that you were talking that you were talking about, I feel like that's something that's prevalent even more today in a lot of like the free to play like mobile card games especially ones that have been around for a while. Like, I don't know how a game like Hearthstone, for just looking at from the outside, looking in, how as a new player of Hearthstone, you can compete with players who have been playing for years. You know what I mean? Like, because even if you're a pay-to-play player coming in, those, those people have gotten so many cards for so long. Isn't that difficult to, like, get your foot in the door and be competitive? Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I, I don't know how Magic does it, but I know that some of those games they'll they'll cha- they'll do the turnover in, in the seasons and you know put different oh. cards in different modes and things like that. But what do you realize that? Okay, well that makes yeah, sense. It does. I would say like right now, I don't think Snap is doing that. So like you said, I I could be you could be playing, in a, in a match and the entire card catalog is is fair game so you don't know what you're going to get hit with or what effects and it's just kind of things coming out of like left field but yeah it's not around for a while it's not been around for like year and a half is i that, think i think so i think okay i've never played it so i don't i don't know yeah yeah i i i've literally i have the same exact kind of life cycle with all those games like i played hearthstone for a while and it 
would do those things where it would, you know, introduce new new seasons, new cards, and kind of like ban the other ones that you worked really hard to get. Okay. And then like wash, rinse, repeat, and then eventually it's like I, you know, I can't play enough to keep up because I'm not a pay to play sure. player. So you just kind of have to grind to get the cards you want, and it's just I don't know. It's 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 an exhausting thing, but it's still fun. So it's a weird it's a weird uh, space for sure. Yeah. So that was that was question. You said you had some like lead up questions from oh. that one. Oh yeah. So uh, that question was just kind of how you got into board games. Then, so when when did you decide that you wanted to take uh, your interest in you know magic or, or board games in general into designing your own? Oh man, uh, still in high school, I guess. It's been a while. Like the first thing that I did, eh, maybe it was early college. Um. I designed a Magic the Gathering set, like just goofing around with my friend. Like, well, I did it, and then we all like drafted with it and played with it. And that was like that's God, that's been years and years ago. And then I came up with like a kind of game that was a well, take a step back in the middle of us playing Magic. So this was probably two thousand and two, I guess. Uh, a friend of mine, two thousand one, two thousand and two, somewhere in there. Uh, a friend of mine got a copy of Catan. And we played it. And of course we played that thing because we had never played anything like it. We had played Talisman before. That was really like our board. The only other board game that we ever played aside from Magic was we played Talisman every once in a while. Um, but yeah, we played Catan to like the cardboard fell off. And I was like, well, what if I took this system that's in Catan of generating resources and apply it to being able to cast Magic cards? That'd be kind of cool, wouldn't it? So like I toyed around with it and came up with like a game that basically used the mana generation uh, instead of getting resources in Catan, you got mana and then you could spend that mana to, to play cards. Um, and it was terrible. I mean, I was like, you know, 20 is <laughs> a terrible idea, but uh, yeah, that was the first thing that like I designed. And then uh, I guess around 2006, I started kind of, messing around with more European like Cosmos two-player kind of card game designs. Um, and yeah, from there it went. I decided I was going to publish a game and I figured out how I could make a hundred copies of a game and I did it <laughs> and I sold them out. So, you know, it was, it was cool. And that was in 2007. Okay. Maybe, maybe this is me being not a good host. I, I came into your games probably you know three three four years ago when basically when you kind of made your return to uh, small box games with the North. Sure. So okay, I a lot of your earlier stuff I, I know that some of it and maybe this is something we can talk about later is back and that's really exciting too. But I'm I'm definitely more familiar with you know your past few years of output than than your original stuff. But what was your first uh, game that you uh, designed and sold uh i it was called politico and it was a uh it's a design it basically each player had like two cards in their hand that were either a uh, i can't remember what it's been so long since i've played that game i mean it's been 16 or 17 years since i published it but basically it was like a, a reverse action selection system like each player would choose a card from their hand to do action a or action b and each player around the table, each player who chose action secretly, face down, everybody flips them once they select them. 
and everybody who selected action A, they get to do action A once plus one additional time for each action B. And each person who chose action B got to do the same thing. So it was about like getting people, getting followers in this uh, Middle Ages era town. Very, very 2007 Euro game look and, and setting. Uh, but yeah, that was my first game, Politico. Very cool. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely do some. Uh, is that is that on BGG? Can I find that one? Should be. Yeah. Perfect. Well, I'll, I'll definitely take a look. Um. So let's kind of segue. You know, I mentioned kind of coming into your games when you, you know, kind of made your return. I don't know if that's the right word. Um. And in regards Absolutely. to your company, but how, I guess, I know you've talked about it a little bit, I, and I know that you publish your own games and then uh, publish some with like Colossal and now you're yourself. Uh, I yeah. guess, where, where do you feel like your, your current state of small box games is right now? My current state, like, is it good? Like, <laughs> Am I happy? Like, I, I mean, guess, <laughs> is it, did it re? turn to what you want it to be and like i guess i guess oh, just okay. i i felt like so i had you know i like you said i, I published a lot of games designed and published mm -hmm. a lot of games through small box like prior to 2019 um and i want to say there i i don't have the numbers in front of me but it it things took a big upward turn when i did omen in 2011 and that was actually uh the first uh, after the first edition of omen i did a second edition on kickstarter which that was like in kickstarter's infancy which was in the end of 2011 beginning of 2012 um and from that point games got a little bit bigger because i felt like they had to because the market was getting bigger if that made sense um so things got a little bit bigger bigger than i wanted them to be but yeah, going back, taking a step back and going, uh, and then, you know, Colossal published some of my games, and then I got them back in 2019, started doing my own thing again. Uh, but yeah, they're, everything was smaller. I wanted to, I wanted everything to be as small as possible. I think good design is doing the most with the least amount, um, personally. So that's kind of, <laughs> kind of been my design philosophy for the past especially the past four years, but I've always been small. I've always made small things by industry standards, but seeing how small I can get them is a, I don't know. It's, it's a design space I really enjoy working in. So to answer your question, yeah, I'm, I'm happy. I'm very happy with how small boxes is right now. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. Well, me too. Um, and yeah, I, when, when you returned, speaking of kick, kickstarter infancy my my kickstarter infancy was around the time when uh you put the north up on kickstarter and i for the longest time thought it was the first game that i had actually backed but i don't think that's true i think i i didn't back it because i hadn't backed anything and i didn't really know kickstarter but then i sure. was following the game i'm pretty sure you made it to the top of the board game geek hotness when when the North got released, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And... Maybe. I don't. Yeah. I, I wish I, I wish I could say I, that was, that's an awesome thing. I have no idea. I've been using board game geek. I think I registered for it in like 2005. 
I can't tell you what any of those metrics actually mean. <laughs> I mean, and it's, it's their, it's their, it's their coding and their every, I mean, I'm sure people speculate on it and stuff, but like, I don't know, you get to the hotness by just clicking on a game's page, which is cool. Um, but from a like popularity standpoint, I don't really know if it means anything. Unfortunately, I wish it did. That'd be awesome. Yeah. But I don't know. Well, I, uh, I do know that when that game was announced and, you know, some of the artwork, which we can talk about that in a little bit too, super, super awesome. And uh, people started playing it like people were excited. And then I was excited too. And I, <laughs> uh, I, I, I think I pre-ordered, you know, a couple copies and, you know, where I'm sitting today, I don't want to make these numbers up, but I, I'm pretty sure I've bought at least five or six copies of the North or, or Providence or, you know, one one or the other to like gift okay. it or keep for myself is just one of those oh. games that I I want people to have. Yeah, it's, it's one of my favorites for sure. It's uh, one of those things that I, I feel like if I had done well, I, that's not fair. It, yeah, if I, I feel like if I had done a slightly different setting with something a little bit more familiar, that game would be much more popular than it is. But ultimately, it's the game that I wanted to make, and I made it look the way I wanted it to make, and I. It, it didn't get as popular as I, as I would have liked, but, you know. Well, I I mean, I, you know, for your sake, I, I wish that it did reach, like, you know, a bigger audience because when I when I first played that game, I, I probably played a handful of quote-unquote hobby games once I okay. finally, you know, cracked open uh, the North and was starting to read it. And I think entering... Uh, entering your games, kind of like trick-taking uh, to a degree, you know, there's kind of a language with with the way that you have your rules and the way you have your, uh, I don't know, action cards. Is that the, the right word? Yeah, any rule cards, action cards, whatever, prompt cards. I mean, you can call them anything. Yeah, yeah just, just the way that, the, like, the players take their events. So I was, I was kind of familiarizing myself, and then eventually – you know, I'm putting out these facilities and putting out these ancients. I'm stringing all these combos together and it just created, you know, one of the coolest, you know, I don't want to throw overuse a term, but emergent story and emergent narrative just from, you know, no flavor text, but, you know, extremely uh, rich art and fun actions and, and things that made sense. Like, you know, the cards and what they did, whether, yeah. whether they just, like, well, okay, this is from Providence, so it's not the original one, but like Junk Torch, you know, the effect of Junk Torch just makes so much sense in that game. And I was just, uh, I was completely like in love and I, I'm pretty sure I've joined every single one of your pre-order subscription systems, like whatever since, and and I, I can't get enough. Cool, yeah, that, it's funny you mentioned that, like the, you know, a card doing what it says it does. A lot of that, I, I attribute that aspect of like how I design games, especially, I mean, almost everything I do is cards. Um, but so much of that stems back from playing magic and like knowing the, knowing the ins and outs of magic so much that like a card, and it's not really that way anymore because they've branched out so much on what cards do in the settings. But like, I don't know, a fireball did what a fireball did and it just made sense. Like from a gameplay that if, if I'm if I'm connecting the two things, like 
a magic card with his name and its ability did what you would expect it to do in the game. Does that make sense? Yeah, I know that makes complete sense. I've I like I said, I'm not super versed in magic, but yeah, I I think I think good game design in general, especially if it is a a card based system like you said, like you know, like a lot you like can, it, you can you can be you can present an end product that is very immersive without a bunch of text. Like let people imagine what they're doing. Is kind of the way I've 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 taken over the past couple of years. Like, I don't I don't want to give you a, a a page long story about what you're doing in the game. Here's what the like. Here's the setting. Here's what the cards do. What do you think they're doing? And I don't know. For me, that's that's really enjoyable storytelling. <laughs> like from from what I enjoy. So I try to present. You know, I try to make games that I would enjoy playing. So I don't know. I know that not everybody wants that. A lot of people want to know exactly what's going on all the time. So, sorry for keep cutting you off. I think there's a little bit of a delay. Oh. Talk, so. No, completely, completely good. I I mean, there's, like you said, there, I think there's a, like a time and place for both. But if, especially with what you're doing in your designs and, and like you mentioned, just trying to like trim them down and make them tighter, uh, as tight as possible and constantly going with that having having the art do do some work having just the interactions of the game system do that work in you know 50 cards 70 cards uh that's kind of what you're at that makes a ton of sense yeah at least i try i know it doesn't always hit with everybody but i try <laughs> hey well well it hits with me and i think the the funniest thing just like looking at all your games and well whether i turn around and look in my my mess mess of pile of games and or or your site or um just on like board game geek is yeah, i've played at this point a lot of your games a lot however the you know one person i played most of them with uh my brother like our work schedules haven't synced up a ton sure. and and i've I'm behind on a few of them, but I keep, I keep playing. I, I think the North uh, is one of my most played games ever. Bronze Age as well. Uh, my wife and I play a lot of cacti. I don't have the one with the, the new art and design from your wife. Mm. I, I like the look of that one though. Yeah. It's, it's pretty much the same game just with some slight tweaks to make it smaller card count. And okay. you know, she grew as an artist, a lot as well so you can tell the difference between like what she originally did and what she did uh two years later so it's kind of cool yeah let's let's talk about i i had this question but i think that's a pretty good segue so you have art uh in like cacti bronze age uh the new your your version or your small box version neolithic middle ages that's uh those are all done by your wife correct liz yeah Yes, Liz. She did all those. Yep. Yeah, and I, I think that, like you said, you know, just growing, growing in her art. I think everything in the symbology and the cleanness of the cards is so uh, striking. How, how do you collaborate with you know Liz on those games or Aaron in a lot of your other games? And I know that you had a different uh, artist for an Empty Throne in trying to get. Uh, the vision of the the play experience and the the mechanics to kind of match. Hmm. 
Uh, well, with with the stuff that for Liz, with the exception of of Bronze Age and Neolithic, which both of those I already had the idea, and I like, I want, I just want really stark, simple icons because I had learned my lesson the first time with Neolithic when I first did it in like 2015, that it was just a little bit too busy. So I wanted to do something that was just really, really dry is not stark. Um, you knew what the cards were when you looked at them. Um, with, with cacti, I think she was drawing a, a cactus one day and I was like, huh. And I got the idea for doing like a set collection game about collecting cacti. Um, uh, but for Aaron, like, and she's not, she's not a full, I mean, she's awesome, but she's not a full-time illustrator. She has a, a full-time job, uh, working in land surveying. So her time to, to actually do art is these days at very much a premium. So she doesn't, she does stuff for herself whenever she has time to, and that's fine with me as long as she's happy drawing and carving. Like that's good with me. I'm just I'm lucky that she was able to do some illustrations for me. Uh, it's cool to work on something together. Um, but as far as like other outside illustrators go, I generally try to work with illustrators that I know what they're going to produce. Like when I reached out to Aaron, I knew what Aaron was capable of doing and what his work looked like. I wouldn't I wouldn't have used Aaron to do art for Cacti. He couldn't. I mean, he. I'm sure he could have done it but it wouldn't have been what it was, if that makes sense. It would have been cacti, uh, cacti and <laughs> which I'm sure would look awesome, but wouldn't be what I was looking for. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So generally I'll look for, you know, when I'm, when I'm working on a setting for a game and it's, you'll, I, I think you'll appreciate this, but you know, I'll have, you know, all the, all the card names and stuff or what, what things do and all the abilities so I'll sit down and I'll start sketching out, like, what do these things look like? What do I want them to do? And I'll send over, you know, sketches and a description to Aaron of like, or any really any artist I work with. Aaron's the best at taking it and running with it. Um, sorry about the noise. Um, and then he'll come back and, you know, show me what he's doing. And I'm like, cool. And then we'll just, we'll go with all of them. And But sometimes like I'll get back, let's, you know, Let's say I wanted the when I did the uh, the Forge Queen in in the north, that card did something totally different when I sent him the the art description for that from what I got back because what it did just I can't remember what it did originally, but it did something different. And I, once I saw the art, I was like, okay, so this card needs to do something different than what it originally did because this card doesn't look like it would do that. Uh, so that's often like how things kind of come about, um, when I'm doing it. Cause I don't know, it just, it's, it's a little fluid that way. I don't, I'm not set. Like I have to have it look just like this. If it looks a little different, I'm going to work with it. Um, but it's mainly just working with, you know, good illustrators that you have a good rapport with that, you know, you can, you can talk with and know what they're capable of and not, ask them to do things they don't want to do yeah that that makes a ton of sense and and i'm on like i said i mean i have all your games in piles around me but i'm just looking at the your games page on your website and 
just thinking about all the games that I've played and the experiences and how how everything just matches up. It's I don't know. It's it's really fun. Uh, I mean, that's a very generic word to describe yeah. it, but but the memories that I'm having and everything works. So I'm I like I really appreciate that process that you know you get something back and then you tweak it a little bit. Um, it's yeah, not- I mean, yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't know. I I don't ask for very many edits on stuff. Like I just I don't know. If that's what they want to make, I'm going to work with it. Unless it's just something like so far off that it just won't fit in the game. Like if I ask for a helicopter and they send me a dragon, that's not going to work, obviously. But you know what I mean? Like the, I don't know. It's cool. I like, and I think at least from my experience, the the illustrators that I've worked with, like they appreciate the being able to do what they do. You know what I mean? I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. That sounds kind of weird, but course they're doing what they want to do they're illustrating but like doing stuff that they want to like working in spaces they enjoy working in i don't know yeah so Just talking about me but about me babbling along for an hour hey, you're gonna get me started and you're gonna have to edit it there's like i said no no edits we're just we're here we're here for the babble um looking at uh oh some of your more recent games i i don't know if it was in an email or like a like a newsletter or kind of like mm-hmm. a kickstarter post but i know that you said that you wished in the shadow of atlas kind of caught on a little more but i know that that and an empty throne are a couple of your more recent games and they sure. are different uh lane battlers right which I think in you know uh, two two player head to head games that lane lane battling games make a a lot of sense. But I guess my question for you then is, you know what, and and having everything tight and like your general game uh, philosophy in general. But like what what's inspired uh, your more recent like lane battlers? What are you trying to do with them, and and what do you hope people see in them? Uh well. For an empty throne, I wanted something. I wanted to take a system that was similar to Neolithic, where you were playing cards to a deck, to a central deck that would dictate what you were doing during your turn. Like you could use cards multiple ways. So that's what the the idea for an empty throne grew out of. That's why each card has, you know, when it's at the top of the deck, it has an ability that if you play to it, you get something. But it also has an ability that if you play it, you get something. So I wanted there to be like a, a double each card to have um, most of my games have cards that have more than one use. That's just kind of how I'm wired. It's how I design. Um, but with them dethrone, I really wanted to do something that where the static, the static ability in the middle hinged on what card was in the actual middle deck so that you could have like, I don't know. And not just that, but the value of the card as well and having just different ways for those cards to interact and an empty throne actually started out as a game I was trying to design just using the standard, uh, <laughs> a standard playing uh, deck of playing cards, and it quickly grew way out of anything that I could that I could include a cheat sheet with how to <laughs> with what cards would do. <laughs> uh, and in, and you know that's what I wanted to do with with an empty throne, and you know change it to just having from just having three lanes to having multiple lanes, and 
lanes that you know operated differently based on what card was at the top. I mean, those those decks are always fluid, um, which is I think just for me it just great. I love an empty throne. Um, in the shadow of Atlas, on the reverse of that, I wanted to make something that looked like a lame battler that wasn't. Um, I don't know if you've had a chance to play in the shadow of Atlas yet. Yes, a couple times now. Um, it's a racing game. It's there's a little bit of blocking in that you know if I play an order, if I play the the Laverna order on my side of a planet, you can't play it on your side of the planet, but you can still play it anywhere else. And none of the cards affect the other player; they only affect you. So I wanted it to be just like a, a combo building engine where you had to watch what the other player was doing. How are they doing uh, as far as what cards they're playing? Are they becoming arbiter planets? How many orbital outposts do they have? How do I need to win? How can I beat them quicker than they can win? Um, but they still cared about like what was on the other side of the planet. It's like got this cool, and I don't know if it shows through thematically, but the whole idea is that you know when you when you become arbiter at a planet in in the shadow of Atlas, you become the arbiter. You get a little bit of bonus, but you can't play cards there anymore. So it's up to the other player to start a revolution or a revolt or whatever to turn the planet back to their side. So they can still play cards there and try to win it back from you. But you're kind of like you're sitting you're sitting good. You got your bonus from doing that and potentially points, but you, you, you're not guaranteed to keep it until the end of the game. Um, no, I think they handle, you know, that I, I think you can definitely tell that I designed both of them if you've played both of them, but I don't think they're really anything alike aside from the fact that they're 54 cards and and there's lanes that you're playing stuff to. I don't know. Yeah, I I just... I don't know. I I, I think I always have lane battlers on my mind, and, and like you said, a lot of your games will use lanes or even in you know, hemlock, it's not necessarily lanes, but intersections and, and just seeing all the different things is is always, you know, like you said, just from an empty throne to in Shadow of Atlas, almost you're trying to do the exact like opposite from a design space. Right. And well, that's just uh very intriguing. I, I think the the Compass Archive games are like the only games that I don't that that have that have had any modicum of success where you're not competing over something in the middle, be it a row, be it a grid, be it, you know, spaces like in dirge and those are the only games that i've done that i can think of that you're not that have been you know somewhat somewhat favorably re received that didn't have some kind of middle thing that you were playing cards to mm -hmm. trying to think offhand i mean i mean even lucre started out as not a trick-taking game i mean it's I didn't have any desire to make a trick-taking game. I was I was making a game where players were playing cards to fight over cards in the middle. And I was like, oh, well, this is a trick-taker, it turns out. So <laughs> you just you had to get in on the the, the trick-taking revolution, right? I get I've I've not played I've played Rook. <laughs> That's the only like true trick-taking game I've ever actually played. So That's funny. I don't know. One oh, I just want to talk about in the Shadow Atlas. I think one thing that's really interesting about that game too is the I don't know if economy is the right word, but when you know when your uh, order cards become orbital outposts, that yeah. 
like just how that changes uh, the combos that you can pull off or whether or not you know you'll be able to come across the cards more frequently. I just think that's a, a really intriguing part about that game. I first couple I played that game a couple times in succession and it didn't didn't leave my my brain for a, a few days. So yeah, it's fun. I mean, I like it a good bit. I mean, it's I wish, like I said, I wish it was a, I wish it had gotten a little bit more traction. But that was the first game I did of the year. I didn't do a Kickstarter project for it. It's just been available through print and play. I've sent it to reviewers, but nobody's talked about it. Um, I don't know. It's I don't really know what what it is. But I thought like, and I don't know. It, it's a good look. I think it's one of my better looking games. I think it's real sharp looking, great illustrations, and real clean graphic design. But you know, to each their own. Yeah, well, who knows? Maybe maybe one of the the reviewers will pick it up and and say some things, and and a few more people will get it. Cause I I like I said I I played it those couple times like right back to back, and will willingly get it back to the table whenever. So decent decent transition uh, here in that. So we kind of talked about like some of your designs, uh, small box games, mm-hmm. and. You know, on on your Kickstarters, uh, on you know your your communication in general, I think you're very transparent in you know what your company is, the games you try to make, who they might be for, sure, uh, and and everything like that. And I think unapologetic probably has like a bad uh, connotation, but it's it's honest and and it's super fair. And and you're making like some some mild uh, changes. I know that you've been doing a lot of uh, revising. So I know the version of the North that I still play isn't the the printed or, or most recent rules version of, of the North. Sure. And I know that for your upcoming game, and I would I'd love to hear about this one too, because I honestly, it, like I said, I saw Exofano. Exofana Duo on Kickstarter. I clicked back. I didn't read anything. I'm waiting to get it in my hands, which should be really soon, and start yeah. playing and start playing with it. But you are kind of sake for the sake of uh, revision, at least for now, are doing away with like a little uh, rules card or booklet in favor right. of having it just exist uh, to be changeable, updatable, and everything like that. So I guess what has led you to that change or other changes that you've made with some of the games that aren't even necessarily that old from a, from a revision standpoint? Well, um, from, for the North, I can tell you like the North is the first game I did back as small box games in 2019. And it's a great game. No matter what version of the North that you have, there's nothing wrong with it. Like if you have just the original with no cards added on, if you enjoy that game, you're you're probably not missing out on that much from getting the newer version. Um, if you add in like the the provenance expansion to it, because it gets to a point where I've made a game, so I, like I made the North, and you're a super fan of the North, right? You're gonna buy stuff that I make for the North. Pretty soon, I, I you can get to a point where that going back to we're talking about Magic the Gathering again. I can't expect somebody like I can give you a little bit of a price break because you've already bought it and you don't have to buy a box and I can, I can do, I I can help uh, lower the price and lower the cost for some people who have already like backed the game and are already supporters previously. 
Or for like somebody coming in, I can't charge them the amount of money I would need to charge them and have them buy it for what it would cost to, to if I was to keep expanding on the north. If that makes Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes complete sense. And that's the, the I don't know. And, and that, that design philosophy for me has changed a lot over the years because it's just, I don't, I want to make things right the first time. I don't want to. I don't want people to have. I don't. I don't ever expect anybody to buy a second version of a game they already own from me, unless I'm giving it to them for free as like a print and play or something, and they want to check it out. Like, and I and I get that some people want to do that, but I try to make it so where it's not like you own. Let's say because going talking. Let's talk. Stay talking about the North. You have the original North, and you have the North Provenance, the the add-on expansion. You've got twice or three times the number of cards that somebody who buys the North today has in their game of the North. They have you have like multiple copies of each card at each value. You can play it several different ways, but you know that game and you're able to jump in and use those things that way. For someone who's coming into it, I had to look and say, okay, what can I do to make this to give somebody who's coming into the North? Uh, a similar amount of variety without the same amount of, of weight as the original one. So I went through and I said, okay, what needs, what, what can I keep and how much variety can I keep in this 54 card package and still have it be more than the original North by itself. And that's kind of how I got to the North provenance, the standalone game. I know it's kind of confusing, but I do can follow what I'm talking about because you're familiar with the game. Um, I, I'm constantly trying to make things as small as possible um, just for personal reasons, for every, every kind of reason you can think of. Like if something can be smaller, it should be. Um, and with the, you mentioned the eschewing and the rule books, it just part of that too is like cost, man. I want to, I mean, things aren't getting any cheaper for people buying my games or for me making them. So I had to figure out, you know, what, what can I take out and still have a good experience for the end user? And the, the biggest thing to me was like a rule book. Cause the one it, it's paper it, it's not any, it's not a rule. It's not a rule. I don't, I very rarely present a rule book, like a stapled multi-page rule book. It's normally just a, a sheet of paper. It's printed professionally at a offset printer here in Atlanta, but it's something you could basically print out on your home printer. Um, there's no collating or anything. It's just a sheet of paper that's quad folded to fit into the box. So I got to think it will, if I do this, I can cut, you know, I can cut costs for me without having to raise prices. I can, and I can have something that's editable. Um, that if something does change there, that sheet of paper, cause I've done, I mean, that's one of the drawbacks of it just being me. Um, people, I have plenty of people besides me that lay eyes on stuff before it ever goes to print. But it it happens, man. It, there there can be errors, and it feels bad to like to find out that I that there's a small typo in a rule in a, in a rule set that went out with the game that just went out. It's not worth reprinting the rules for it because it's missing, you know, the it's missing a comma. But still, you know, if it's something I could edit online and and make it right when somebody sees it and tells me that that's something different. Um, again, I'm rambling. Does that does that answer your question? Yeah. Well, so. Yeah, so I think what I, I guess I'm kind of getting, well, I kind of what I'm getting out of it is a lot of these, you know, changes to the the North was for the sake of that entry point and, and keeping it, you know, 
tight, keeping it like all trim for somebody sure. getting into it. And, and some of these other ones are just to really like match, match like your company's vision. Yeah. And make it, like you said, and obviously, you know, the, the cost and, and making it potentially uh, changeable. That's, that's really cool. Uh, I've got, Oh, uh, what, what do you think uh, people are going to be most excited about in exofauna duo? That's a, such a subjective question. I don't know. Um, I don't know. Most excited about that's that's a tough question because people get excited about different stuff. People get excited about the card play. People get excited about illustrations. People get excited about, um, you know, actual card interactions. I, I don't know, man. That's a tough. I'm. I think it's going to surprise some people. I think there's going to be. I think it's going to be one of my games that a lot of people really like, and some people just don't like at all. I don't think it's going to be. I don't think there's going to be a lot of people who are lukewarm on this game. And I could be wrong. I'm tragically wrong about my game ninety percent of the time. It's uh, going back like talking about in the Shadow of Atlas. I thought that would be. You know, I thought that was going to be like a hit for the year. I mean, and don't get me wrong, the people who've played it and rated it, the ratings are like phenomenal, but there's like 12 of them. So it's like, you know, what are you going to do? Um, I don't know. I think people are really going to like, they're going to like the card play, the, how, how much of a tile laying area control game I've captured in just a deck of cards. And I think people are going to be very frustrated with how poorly they play at it. I don't mean that like in a I don't mean that in a in a rude way. It's there's a there's traps built into the game where you can play the game poorly and have a terrible time. Um if you're not like because like for instance, there's the predator cards or predatory. Like when you play one of them, you have to bounce something back to your hand if there's something next to it. It doesn't care if it's one of your cards or one of the other players' cards, it's gotta eat. So like and you have to discard a card when you do it. So if I play my predator, uh, a predator with nothing next to it, and I don't bounce anything back to my hand, I still got a discard a card. Like it's there's lots of little tricks built into it like that, but they're also built around being able to make the most out of your two actions in a turn. There's a way you can turn that that seeming drawback into a plus, but it's just you know you've got to play it a couple times. But I think most people will have to play it a couple times to see it shine. And that I try to make my game short enough to where you can play them a couple of times if you think you like it to find out if you really like it or not. Um, but I think if you, I think for the most part, if you play one of my games once and don't like it, you haven't given it a shot. I don't mean that like as a give me more time. It, we, people have only the amount of time that they have, but I don't think you can, from watching from an outside looking in, very few people ever get my games the first time they play them. You can start to see the gears like clicking two thirds of the way through the first game. And then the second game, they normally get it. But if they don't get to that two thirds click in that first game, they don't, they don't give it a second shot, which is fine. I mean, there's tons of other games out there. So I don't know. Luckily that's, uh, that's the benefit of having low cost games that if you don't like it, you're not, you haven't sunk hundreds of dollars into something that, you're going to have to stare at for the next three years. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm, 
I'm all for hoping that people, you know, if they kind of get to that three quarters point and aren't feeling it, that they do give another shot because yeah, kind of what I mentioned before, you know, with my experience in your games, it was always, like I said, to me, it's kind of the, the action system and, and the comboing and uh, just the efficiency of what you're trying to do was all was all a, a language of sorts to crack into. But once I did, you know, I think learning all your other games just became like that much easier too. And yeah. and that's, for me, it's from the outside looking in, like, I don't like trains. I wasn't raised around trains. I don't understand the appeal of trains. I do not want to play a train game. Like, I know that. I know that about myself. Don't want to do it. So, like, when I read when I read comments and stuff like on board game geek and elsewhere, like these cards have too much text. I, that's the kind of game it is. You know what I mean? Like if you didn't want to play a game where you had to read, you, you probably should have played something else. Or if you don't like games that have a lot of text, what made you think this one was going to be different? I'd be flattered if I changed your mind, but it's kind of one of those things like, why are you playing something that you don't want that you know that you historically don't enjoy? Does that make sense? That makes that makes a ton of sense. Especially with like how many games there are out there, which has been a good thing and a bad thing. Like, I don't get a lot of people who buy my games on a whim anymore, which is kind of cool because it, it means most people who are buying them are buying them because they've read or looked at and see it and it's something they want to try, which is very cool. Um, but it also means I get less people buying it. But I'd much rather, I'd much rather a hundred people buy a game who are completely happy with it than 200 people buy it. And a hundred of them are unhappy and a hundred are happy. Like that's not what I'm here to do. That's, that's not fun for me. It's not worth the. It's not worth it. Yeah. Speaking of something that uh, many people are happy about, you know, you mentioned your most uh, famous game in, in Omen. That is yeah. if you click on your website, it's returned and you, uh, are going to be doing some more with it for small uh, box games soon. Is there anything about that that you can comment on right now? I can't. I, okay. I could, but I don't. <laughs> Fair. It's going to it's gonna be. I've, it's something that I have. I, but I when I first set out to do it, mm -hmm. I reached before I pulled the trigger on doing anything like concrete. I reached out to a handful of people who. Uh, who aren't I'm not related to or anything, just people I know, people who I know like the game, people who have been fans or critics of the game for a long time. And I said, This is what I'm planning on doing. What do you think? And the resounding answer has been, That sounds like a great idea. Um, so it's what I did. Um, it's going to be different. Uh, I, I tried to own the original omen. I say original omen, that original omen's long gone, but uh, the Omega edition that I first did in 2015, which was like the last edition that I did, which was the edition of every other Omen that came after it from regardless of who you got it from, uh, was based on that edition of the game. It's now a free print and play on the site. Um, I want that game to always be available. Uh, I, I won't be printing it again, but it will always be available. So we'll leave it. We'll leave it. I think. If you didn't like Omen before, I don't think there's going to be much that's going to change your mind. If you liked Omen before, I think you're gonna, I think you're going to be very pleased with with what 
what the game is doing. Um, that's I, I'll leave it there because I don't. It's it's way too long to get in. <laughs> We'd be on this <laughs> this pod, This will be a nine hour podcast. So you know, but no, it should have some. I should be able to post some stuff, and it's not that I can't post it or talk about it. It's that it's not as simple like this is what I'm doing. It's there's like so much that went into why it's being done the way that's being done that I think because there's a lot of people out there, man, like I'm very, very fortunate. Like I know how fortunate I am that I have a game that is so many people's favorite game like that. I can't tell you how what that means to me as like a creator that there is something not to take away from the North being one of your favorite games, Ryan. Um, but like there's a lot of people out there who just love Omen and I want to make sure that those people have a reason to keep loving Omen. And I think I've done that. But like I said, it's going to take more than more than just saying this is what's happening to, to justify that. So, hey, yeah. yeah. Well, I guess, uh, you know, I mean, you've you've posted that it's back. People people know it's back. So I I'm, am excited to see uh, what it is that you do with Omen. That's some- yeah. I'm very to say I'm excited about it is is under <laughs> to to be fair it it did it was not something that I expected was actually going to happen and it happened at an inopportune time. Um, so I've kind of had to pivot. It happened like as I was getting geared up to get Exofauna actually on the Kickstarter that all this kind of finalized. So my goal was originally this year was to have like between 20 and 25 games on the site um, available as, as monthly pre-orders. Um, because, that, well, that, that was my goal for the year. That's what I wanted to do, a mix of new games and reprints with, you know, in new, in new card formats and new illustrations and stuff. Obviously, that's not going to happen now because, like, 100% of my, <laughs> of my focus is on Omen now. Um, we should go back, like we were talking about earlier, something that kind of reminded me of this like a lot of people think that like i say a lot it's hard to quantify that i read that you know i'm i'm cranking out 25 games i don't expect any one person to ever buy one of every one of those 25 games i know there are a, a small handful of people out there who will me but my goal with like doing that <laughs> my goal with doing it is because I, I eventually i want to have something for everybody potentially that doesn't mean that, like, I mean, I've got a trick-taking game now. I mean, what, I don't I don't know even know how that happened, but I've got one. Now, is it going to be a trick-taking game like you're used to? Probably not, but it's there. Like, I want to have a very, a very varied catalog of always available games. So, you know, that just wanted to put that out there. I was talking to somebody about that the other day, and it's, you know, I'm, I'm very happy that there are people who buy the majority of things that I make, but, like, I don't know. I'm not... I, I don't expect anybody to do that. So, um. so with the oh, I had a question and it wasn't really a question. I just okay. I, I just wrote medium box games in quotes. Okay, uh, it, it seems as if everything you're doing uh, is really focused on well, keeping everything as tight as possible, and yeah. and also. Uh, as you just mentioned, having that available catalog that can be printed and reprinted and and everything like that up on your website, you did yes. you did Sandstone as a as a kind of uh, limited project, yeah, 
of yours that was let's say a little bit well it's still a small game but a little sure. more medium than most of them it doesn't seem like you're going to be doing any of that anytime soon but i guess if you were is there anything that you would like to like incorporate into something that would that would make small box games medium box games or is your brain not even there it's not i i did that the the small batch thing as a as a test during like early on in the pandemic because i wanted to try i wanted to do something i wanted to do something that was completely i mean i'm involved with every step of the process aside from actually doing you know illustrations or printing the cards myself but i wanted to do something where like i, I did everything from the ground and made the pieces you know printed the bags did everything like as, as much as i could possibly do by myself um and it was a it was a fun game some people liked it some people didn't but it was so much work and it just it was something that if more people had been like the people people were excited about it initially but there wasn't a follow-through excitement on that and i don't know which is fine but as far as doing other they're just it's very difficult to do any kind of quality game piece domestically or even internationally at the scale that most of my games are, are manufactured at. I just, I can't do it. And if I did do it, the, the cost of that would be so prohibitive to anybody who wanted to buy it that I couldn't, I couldn't charge it. I couldn't, it would, there would be like three super fans who bought it and we would all be sad. So it's, instead of trying to do it, I just don't do it. I just, I don't know. That's kind of, that's, yeah, there's just, there's sure there's stuff I would love to try to do medium, but, but I just know I can't do it at a, I can't feasibly do it. And honestly, like, I don't, I really enjoyed doing the smaller stuff. It's, it just feels right. So. Yeah. I, like I said, that, the thought was just kind of swirling. It, it wasn't even like written. I just wrote quote, medium box games end quote but i kind of kind of what i expected i i know that you did the resin pieces for that you like made them all and i just i'm glad that i have one of them i can pick up those pieces and know that that you made them yeah a lot of uh yeah it was it was a cool learning experience like learning how to like make molds and cast resin and how to it it was a neat i'm glad i did it. it it I now know if I, ever, if I ever wanted to do it again, I know how to do it, which is cool. But I don't think I, I can't foresee myself doing it again anytime soon. So, you know. That's super fair. Well, um, I guess, I guess we'll start wrapping things up. There are a lot of things that uh, fans of you are going to be looking forward to. Obviously, uh, you know, I got, like I said, I got the notification for, exofauna that that's going to be shipping to me soon more news on omen is going to be good news for a lot of people uh i guess just as a a general question you can kind of pick one uh with anything notable that you've kind of consumed from a, a media standpoint or a game standpoint something that you've been playing watching listening to reading that's okay. been that's been on your mind you pick one uh i'll go with reading slash listening Okay. Because I don't I don't read a lot of books, but I listen to a whole lot of books on tape. And then, so, uh, oh, sorry. No, go ahead. No, I was just going to ask you what it was. I I thought we had a little 
vocal mix up. That's oh, it. it's fine. Uh, phys- I I finally finished reading the Inkle, Inkle, however you want to pronounce it, which was just very phenomenal. Like, uh, which is a very large graphic novel from uh, a French illustrator from like the seventies or eighties. I don't know if you're familiar with it or not. And uh, there, it's being turned into a film movie, probably more of like an action movie kind of thing. Pretty soon, it's been optioned. I don't know how far along it is, um, but it's just cool. Like the imagery in that is just the writing's kind of subpar because it's well, it's not sub. That's not fair. It's is translated to English from French, and it's you know a thirty or forty year old comic book, so it's a little the the language is a little bit different. It might have come out in the nineties. I don't know. Liz got me a copy of it last year, and I just haven't had the time to sit because it's like five hundred pages long. Um, I finally finished that, which was cool. And then we, Liz and I did something that we actually have never done before. Cause she does, she reads like, she's a voracious reader. I can't, she just reads. Um, I stumbled onto a book and I bought her the book and I listened to the audio book. And then we listened to the second book, audio book together on a trip. So that was kind of cool. Like seeing the different things that we took from a book and it was, uh, a Psalm for the Wild Bill was the first book. And the second book was, uh, I can't remember, something for the Crown Shy. Um, but they were cool books. I mean, they were very short. And let me think what else. And then, oh, well, I finally, uh, I've been meaning to reread or re-listen to the Odyssey um, for a long time. And I finally did that. So I'm, I'm refreshed on a lot of stuff pertaining to Greek myth, which was kind of cool. And it was a really cool translation that I read. I can't remember the, the, the translator's name, but it was, it was really well done. I can't imagine. I, I tried to listen to the, no, I'd say I tried. I actually listened to the Cimmerillion as a book on tape. And that's pretty much the worst thing I've ever listened to. It was <laughs> like so dry. And I was like excited to listen to it. I've, I've, you know, physically read The Hobbit several times and listened to Lord of, Lord of the Rings multiple times. Uh, so I was excited to actually dive into that. And it was just awful. Um, interesting stuff, but just very not something to listen to on tape for anybody. <laughs> but I figured The Odyssey might end up being kind of similar to that. But it was narrated by uh, Claire Danes and it was quite pleasant to listen to. Sounds good. I'll I'll definitely try to find that uh, that audio book now based on your your recommendation. Have you read anything recently that you've really enjoyed? Well, it's funny that you mentioned that Liz is a a voracious reader. That's definitely. I mean, I'm an English person. I love reading, but I I bounce between things, and I'm. I'm a very slow reader too. I just kind of, I get hung up on sentences. I read them, reread them, try to get them to, you know, click in my brain. Like I get what they're saying, but I don't know. Sometimes I just need to toss them around. Yeah. And I am primarily reading uh, the second Dune novel. I think it's Dune Messiah. Yeah. Are you liking it? The second one is interesting. The first one well, also interesting. I, you know, enjoyed it. It it seemed a little bit all over the place to me. Uh, the 
the dialogue was either extremely immersive or off-putting at times and that was kind of weird i'd really get sucked into some scenes and other ones i would oh just wait till you get the god emperor of doom if if, if dune messiah has you scratch like has you bouncing around oh sorry first first dune 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 messiah has been pretty straightforward oh sorry oh fair yeah that's yeah i've i've, I've listened to or read all of them they're okay. uh all of the all of the original ones i haven't gotten into like the expanded dune universe at all um but you know some people like those books a whole lot some people uh, the the expanded ones i mean obviously the the original novels have quite the following um but yeah yeah so yeah i'll be interested are you planning on reading all of them were you a fan of the movies both of them well i am reading in order to watch so i don't have the the images like juxtaposed in my head you know oh neat yeah we'll see i uh i'm excited to watch them i i told myself that i'll for sure do the two i'm not much of a a genre fiction reader typically so i'll probably try to read like give it my four shot at starting gravity's rainbow after this and and fail so that's kind of that's kind of where I'm at. Here we have a little bit of a brief technical snafu, so I'm just going to edit that out, and we're going to get back to it. Hey, can you hear me now? Yeah, I got you now. Sorry, man. My phone I had it in my pocket, and I came inside, and I guess it muted, and animals were going crazy. <laughs> oh, that is, that's all good. I think it's probably that time in the evening to go hang out with the animals and and just enjoy the rest of your night, but... Yeah, I man. I really appreciate you chatting chatting games, giving me a couple things to look forward to trying to read and, and listen to as well. And yeah. I I hope everybody else in general, uh, whether they listen to this or not, are as excited for uh what's coming out with your game soon because there's definitely a lot and and like you said, there's so many Omen fans out there and and I I'm glad that they're going to be getting like everything that they, that they want now that I hope with you. I hope, I mean, like I said, I wanted to make sure it was anybody who wanted the original Omen is free. They can, they can go, they can go to the smallboxgames.com right now and download a copy for themselves. Um, but there's, there's new better. I'm not going to say better. That's, that's not fair. There's, there's new and exciting Omen on the way. All right. Well, like I said, you, you design your game is faster than I can play them, but I've I've got most of them down. I I love them, uh, enjoy them, and and extremely glad that we could do this talking. That you could be my first guest. Yeah, man. I thank you so much. I'm I'm flattered that you asked me to be on here, and I appreciate you taking the time to chat with me. And hopefully, I'm I didn't bore your uh, your future guests, your future listeners too much. And uh, I appreciate you letting me talk for a while. All right. No, I, I really appreciate it. Uh, we'll, we'll talk soon, and thanks so much. Thank you so much for listening to Intertextual Cardboard Experience. Feel free to reach out via email, which is vodthepod at gmail.com, or check out my Instagram with the same name. There's not much on there right now, but I'm looking forward to working on the Instagram and other forms of social media 
and a website a little bit more in the future. Until then, keep playing, watching, reading, listening, uh, experiencing. Thank you.